0: So, I don't know about you, but I love a good story. In fact, I probably do know about you. I think we all love a good story, don't we? I particularly love biographies. Not just any biographies, but good biographies, right? Now, there is a massive difference between but like just a normal biography and a really good biography. And what I think is is not what... The thing that makes it is not necessarily that kind of point at which they reach the pinnacle of what they are looking to achieve. But it's actually the fight, the struggle, the obstacles in the way that they have to get over before they then reach this pinnacle that makes the story so captivating. And I think the reason that we get the goosebumps when they finally achieve what they set out to do is because there's something inside of us that says, I need to be part of a story like that. A bigger story like that. A story that says, we are all in the struggle in some way. But there is a better outcome for us coming. And. We need to enter into the story. We need to enter into the story so that we get to the final chapter. In that final chapter, we get to the glorious place, the place that we're made for. I think everyone's got that insight. Do you remember the Alpha campaign? And uh, they uh, had billboards all over London and all over the country eventually. And uh, they asked the question, is there more to life than this? And why did that tickle people? Why did that attract people to come and do a random course inside a church about Christianity? Why was that so successful? Because there's something inside of us that says, yeah, we are made for more than this. We are part of a story that means that we're in a struggle, but it's not the end. There's something much greater. Even the Lion King isn't a brilliant story because of its CGI, if you've seen the most recent one. It's not even a, a brilliant story if you are a fan of the original because of the amazing expressions on the cartoons' faces, the faces of the cartoons. It, it's not even uh, an incredible story because of its music. These things all help, but actually, what makes Lion King Lion King is that Mufasa dies too young, Pride Rock turns dark. And that is the making of Simba, who in the end sees Pride Rock restored. That that is the basic shape of just about any story. And we fall for it every time because we're made to. We are in a spiritual battle, a struggle. And this morning we need to know something. The battle you and I are engaged in, the one that we are a part of as people who follow after Jesus, God's children, is more important than we can ever begin to even imagine. It's worth fighting for. So chapters 10 and 11 of Joshua, which we're getting back into this morning as we continue our series, they're all about this. They tell the story of a real flesh and blood battle, but, or battles, but the story they tell is of a much bigger battle, a spiritual battle, a battle for this temple-like land inside the physical boundary is what we're going to read about today, but actually in the end, this is a much bigger battle a battle that is about the people of glasgow a battle that is about the nations a battle that is not limited to a physical boundary but is the breaking out of god's kingdom across the whole world so let me remind you of the overall structure of joshua so far we should have a little table that will come up in the background joshua uh, begins with moses dying you start but because of the death of moses the curse of the previous generation, of Moses' generation, this curse that comes because of sin, is broken. And then Joshua leads the people through the Jordan, the waters of salvation. They are saved from the dry and barren land that they're brought into this glorious uh, land filled with milk and honey. This place that's full of fruitfulness and life. But there are... People opposing them in the land. People who have been there for 400 years, unrepentant. People who God has warned time and time again. And God is going to make this place holy. He's going to make this place a place of worship again. And that is the task of Joshua and the armies of Israel. And so they're in this battle, this flesh and blood battle for this physical boundary. But when we read that, we should be reading that it's not just a physical battle. This battle is about a much bigger story The story we're all made to be a part of. And in the end, the final chapter will be Jesus enthroned on his glorious throne. And we'll all bow down and worship him. And there will be a separation, a judgment and a blessing. And so how we engage today matters for eternity. So as God's kingdom advances... As Paul describes to the Ephesians, it's not against the powers of this dark world. Sorry, it is against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil. So he says it's not about flesh and blood. Ultimately, it's about the spiritual forces of evil. And in the end, we know that Jesus has a victory. And that's why Paul immediately goes on to describe these seven pieces of spiritual armour we have been given. And he puts a massive emphasis on prayer. Therefore, put on the full armour of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which... uh, You can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit in all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Guys, there will be days where we get great breakthroughs. We see people saved, there's miracles that take place. The prophetic is really operating in the church. We start to see real fruit, and we get really excited about it. And it's going to be exciting times. We've already seen little instances of that as a a small church. Praise God for that. But you know what? There will also be times that are hard where we'll need to engage in battle for a long time. And it might seem like there's not much fruit coming. And we need to be ready for both seasons as a church. We need to be able to stand firm in the good and in the bad. In the times where there's lots of exciting things happening. And in the times where it just feels a bit dry. It just feels a bit like we're in a weary battle. And really that's what chapter 10 and 11, that's the difference between chapter 10 and 11. So chapter 10 is miracles. God is doing incredible works. There's this mighty victory in one day, a long day, which we'll find out. uh, But it is a day. And then chapter 11 is like months of battles. Are you ready for both? What we're going to see this morning is that to play our part in the greatest story, we're going to need courage to turn up and play our part. We're also going to need to discover that God fights our battles. There's this glorious plot twist where God fights our battles. And we're also going to need to know that the final script is written. We need a vision. We can't just... Do this day in day out, without knowing the how the final chapter is written. So, let's turn to chapter ten, and I'm going to read verses five through eight of Joshua to begin with. And then what I'll do is I'll just read little sections as, as we go, because it's a big, big chunk of scripture. Okay, so chapter ten, verse five. Excuse me. Then the five kings of the Amorites The kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth Lachish and Eglon Joined forces They moved up with all their troops And took up positions against Gibeon And attacked it The Gibeonites then sent word to Joshua In the camp of Gilgal Do not abandon your servants Come up to us quickly and save us Help us Because all the Amorite kings from the hill country Have joined forces against us So Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including all the best fighting men. The Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. No one of them will be able to withstand you. After an all night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel. So Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely at Gibeon. Israel pursued them along the road going up to beth Haron, and cut them down all the way to Azekah and Macada. Let's pray. Father God, uh, we look at passages like this sometimes and we wonder what's really going on. It can seem brutal and well, we, we, need, we, we need your help when we read texts like this to understand them to understand how they apply to our lives. And so, Father, we call on you now by the power of your Holy Spirit to come and teach us your ways. Help us, Lord, to submit ourselves to your word. Father, we do not want to be people who just turn up to church and just do the church thing and then call ourselves Christians and kind of wander through life. But really, we're not disciples. We're not following after you with all of our hearts. And so Lord we pray that as we come to scripture we'd sit under it and uh, we'd be willing to submit to it because it's your word. Because you know best for us. Because you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords who loves us, adores us, wants to teach us this morning, wants to get into our lives and reveal more of your glory to us. So come Lord Jesus we pray we need you in every way. Amen. Okay, so we need the courage to play our part in the the big story. I think the the closest I ever came to acting fame was in Primary 7. And uh, we had a little Christmas play. And I was asked to play Joseph. I only had a few lines, but boy was I nervous. I was so nervous that I didn't want to turn up. I wanted to be ill I was willing myself to be sick. Now, my mum saw through me. And she said, Ian, don't be silly. You're going to be fine. The right thing to do here is not let down all your classmates. The right thing to do is to turn up and give it your best shot. What's the worst that can happen? Just turn up, give it your best shot. And you know what? That That was the right thing to do. I turned up And it went a little bit better than I thought it might. I remembered some of my lines. Now the battles with the alliance in the south, they uh, begin in response to the Gibeonites' call for help. Now remember what happened to the Gibeonites last week? The Gibeonites tricked the Israelites into thinking that they were a distant tribe coming to make an alliance with them against the tribes in the land. But they were actually from the land. They tricked them, the leadership looked foolish, the Israelites were grumbling and moaning against Joshua and the other leaders. And so, the temptation here might be for Joshua to you know, not really hear the call for help, or maybe uh, just delay our response a little bit, or, or maybe just not give like a, a full response, but maybe just a uh, you know, a gesture. Saying, yeah, yeah, we're with you. We're, we're in the, this holy union with you now that God's made us half together. That would be the temptation, wouldn't it? You've been made a fool. But that is not what Joshua does. Joshua is extraordinary in character. He's been growing this character. We can see it. We can follow it through. It's from before the book of Joshua. And we see how Joshua has been growing as a godly man. And he, he responds by doing the right thing. He doesn't get scared and run off. He doesn't respond by saying, well, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't quite hear them. He doesn't make excuses. In fact, he does quite the opposite. He doesn't just throw a little gesture towards the Gibbonites, He sends the entire army And not only does he send the entire army, he goes with them. He leads them out. Now the Gibeonites' call to the Israelites is literally, come up. And they mean come up because they need to come uphill. And so imagine it, all the Israelite army in all their armour going uphill to this group of people who have just tricked them, fooled them into having an alliance with them. But because the right thing to do was to keep their promise, to keep their alliance before God, a promise that was made in God's name, so they go. They do the right thing. They have the courage to do what's right. Now if you Google doing what's right, the vast majority of what comes up is doing what's right for you. That's our culture today. Do what's right for you. In fact, if you look at the vlogs, almost all of them are on that subject. The command in verse 8, do not fear, reminds us of God's words to Joshua chapter 1, doesn't it? Be courageous, be very courageous. No one will be able to withstand you. It's really important that we see that Joshua was given this courage... To trust God for the right thing to do above his personal preferences, his wants, his desires. He trusts God above his feelings. Joshua had courage to do what's right because he submitted his life to God, not God to his life. Are you truly sitting under God's word? Are you submitting your life to God or are you creating a God that submits to your life? Spiritual battles rage around us whether we realise it or not and we have a choice. Do we respond to the call of God to be courageous, to do the right things, to enter into the battle, or do we just ignore it? Do we just turn up the TV, put on Netflix again, keep the phone close by, pretend it's not happening. Are we willing to do what's right and often hard when it doesn't feel good? It's become our culture's own version of a gospel, isn't it? Some people are calling it individualistic expressionism. This idea that pervades our whole culture, people looking for the answers of life inside of them instead of above. Pastor and blogger uh, Tre- Trevin Wax said this. Very American name, does not it? Trevin Wax. Anyway. In a society where expressive individualism reigns, the first and greatest commandment is to be yourself. Then the unforgivable sin is to be false or to wilt before some external benchmark that others, like the church, might foist upon you. The cardinal sin of our culture today is to ignore the feelings ignore what's inside of you that says, just be yourself now the irony of course is that you're not expressing something unique when it flows from within you I mean that's just nonsense if you've ever studied sociology you'll know this that it, you just cannot create your own persona your own who you are it just doesn't happen you are influenced from outside influences what forms you is not within, because what's within is formed without. That's why when an 18 year old turns up at Transmit and starts singing along to Jerry Cinnamon with 50,000 other people of a similar age from Glasgow and has sat in a similar education system and are rebelling from their parents of a particular generation, despite how unique individual they feel, they feel more at home with thousands of other people doing exactly the same thing as them, dressed in a similar way that they do on their own. Individualist, individualistic expressionism is a fallacy. It doesn't actually exist. But we feel like it does. And that's the voice we're obeying. It would be foolish to think this kind of thing hasn't crept into the church. It has. We must be people who resist this very attractive gospel to do what your heart says, to do what feels good to you and not what the right thing is to do before God. If we're not careful about how we understand the Bible, we can end up immersing ourselves in a Christian culture a culture that masquerades biblical Christianity when in fact it's taking cultural gospel and applying it in the name of Jesus if we do that we no longer worship the majestic king we no longer worship Yahweh we no longer worship Jesus because we're just picking what we like from the Bible ignoring the rest of it and creating our own God No wonder so many people walk away from their faith. Because we allow that to take place within the church. It might look good on the outside for a while. But we need to be very careful that we're actually teaching the Bible. That we're actually helping people to follow Jesus. The real Jesus. The Jesus presented in scripture Genesis to Revelation. And I think the scariest part about it all is because we cannot construct our own identities within our own influence. It's the influence of the society we live in. We would have a God of the world who is ultimately constructed through the whispers of Satan. That's that's the reality. If you follow the thread, that's what's taking place. Our fight is not against flesh and blood. Don Carson, um, brilliant theologian and pastor, wrote a a book on prayer called A Call to Spiritual Reformation. And he said this in it. Granted that most of us know some individuals who are remarkable prayer warriors, is it not nevertheless true that by and large we are better at organising than agonising? Guys, we can organise a decent meeting. But are we agonising with God in prayer? Are we truly running to Jesus? Or are we just making ourselves feel good once a week? We need to learn that it's not about just getting our favorite speakers and worship leaders on YouTube. We need to learn to agonize in prayer. Jesus did nothing outside of his Father's will, and he regularly went off on his own to pray, as was his custom, the Gospels say. Who's wholly dependent on his father. Are we engaging in the spiritual battle by going to God in prayer? It is prayer that will change Glasgow. We need prayer. We need to stand up and do what's right. But how do we do that? Because it is hard. Well, let's read uh, chapter 10. And we'll join in at verse 9, which we've already read, but we'll go from verse 9 through to 15, just to remind us of what verse 9 said. Okay. After an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel. So Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely at Gibeon. Israel pursued them along the road, going up to Beth-horon, and cut them down all the way to Azekah and Macada. As they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth-horon to Azekah, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them, and more of them died from the hail than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, Son, stand still over Gibeon, and you moon of the valley of Azulam. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies. As it is written in the book of Joshua, the sun stopped in the middle of the day and delayed going down about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a human being. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Then Joshua returned with all Israel to the camp of Gil. Gal. The plot change. In chapter 10, a miraculous day comes as another reminder that God is fighting our battles. That is the God who overcomes. So when we hear God's call to enter, enter the spiritual fight to go, we must remember that we go with the God who fights our battles. We're not entering a duel where we might not win, a kind of dualistic contest. Like Israel, we trust in God's promises because God always wins. We enter knowing that in the end, God is victorious. 1 John 4, 4. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. After the Israelites have have marched all night God throws the enemy into confusion. Then, verse 11, huge hailstones come as these guys flee, and more of them are killed by the hailstones, by God bringing hailstones down on them, than the people themselves, the army themselves. They must have been thinking, all those stories that we've been hearing about the God of Israel who brought plagues on Egypt, they're drowned. God is too much for us. We cannot fight him. So they, they run and they run. Then verse 12, the voice of a man. You see that? The voice of a man who, by the way, his name is Joshua, which in Greek is Jesus, turns the situation around. Verse 14, no day like it before or since when God obeyed the word of a man. Son, be still moon be still God hears and obeys the voice of a man he stops the entire solar system at the voice of Joshua I think that's how he might have done it the sun stood still I don't know how God did that but it stood still it's funny you read commentaries and they try and give you all these ideas as to how it happened did it did did god tilt the earth so palestine didn't go dark like at the north pole in the summer did god literally stop the solar system did he refract the light in some way guys this is beyond us god did it we don't know he did it god is miraculous god can do anything the world had never seen anything like it but since then we have haven't we his name is Jesus who caused the waves and the wind to obey his voice he called demons out he brought people back to life he forgave people of their sin we shouldn't just sit back and wonder at the story and wonder at what Joshua did and, and try to impersonate Joshua we should now look to Jesus he who has come and who is to come and who lives in us, the Christ, who will be so radiant and light that one day we will never meet the sun, came to this world, to this earth, to show that Joshua was just a foreshadow. The world needs authority. It doesn't need bullies. It doesn't need religious authority. It doesn't need proud, bullish types with deeper voices. It needs the authority of Jesus. A leader who fights our battles. He can be trusted with all the authority of creation. Jesus says to his followers in Matthew twenty-eight: All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You see what gives them confidence, or what Jesus implies should give them confidence? That He has all authority. All authority. And then He calls us to go. Jesus has given us authority to go to the dark places with his light to expose the enemy, driving darkness out and bringing liberty to captives. God has called us to do that in Glasgow. When we look at the dark places, I think sometimes we could just think, oh man, like, that's really scary. It's, it's like evil just reigns there, and that person is such a, a powerful person. I don't, I don't know how I could ever even engage with them. Guys, Jesus has overcome the world. All authority in heaven and earth was given to him. And then he says to you, go. Now he fills us with the Holy Spirit. He makes us the temples. He gives us authority to go in his name and to drive back darkness. Jesus lives in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to know that. We need to be confident in that. We need to know that this Jesus, who can stand the solar system still, is with us. We read in verse 42, all these kings and their lands Joshua conquered in one campaign because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel God fights for his people and he's fighting for you the battles in the south against Adonai Zedek and the other leaders lasted a day but the battles in the north will go on for months even though God continues to fight for Israel this was a breakthrough day, great miracles but that's not always how it plays out And that's not always how it's going to play out in our lives. And we need to know that. But here's the thing the final script is written. Let me read uh, chapter 11 and we'll go to verse 15. So jump forward to chapter 11, verse 15. And I'll read up to verse 23. As the Lord commanded his servant Moses, so Moses commanded Joshua, and Joshua did it. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord commanded Moses. So Joshua took this entire land, the hill country, all the Negev, the whole region of Goshen, the western foothills, the Arabah, and the mountains of Israel with their foothills, from Mount Halak, which rises towards Seir, to Baal Gad in the valley of Lebanon below Mount Hermon. He captured all their kings and put them to death. Joshua waged war against all those kings for a long time. Except for the Hivites living in Gibeon, not one city made a treaty of peace with the Israelites, who took them all in battle. For it was the Lord himself who hardened their hearts to wage war against Israel, so that he might destroy them totally, exterminating them without mercy, as the Lord had commanded Moses. At that time Joshua went and destroyed the Anakites from the hill country, from Hebron, Debir, Anna and Anab, from all the hill country of Judah and from all the hill country of Israel. Joshua totally destroyed them and their towns. No Amakites were left in Israelite territory, not only in Gaza, Gath and Ashdod did not survive. So Joshua took the entire land just as the Lord had directed Moses. And he gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their tribal divisions. Then the land had rest from war. When we're in a struggle, it can be easy to lose sight of what's important. This is not one of those ridiculous TV programs where they have a successful season, there was clearly an ending, and then they. Change it so they can have another series and another series and another season. Lost season one was awesome, season three was terrible. This is not like that. The battles in the north were to last a long time, says verse 18. And despite God's hand being with them, in victory after victory, it required great perseverance through battle weariness. And we will have days like that. And we need to know that there is an ending to this. That there is a great vision that is coming. That at the very final verse of our chapter today, they enter into rest. And that is the ultimate destination of Scripture. Rest. We will enter into our rest. The church in Glasgow has, I would say, collectively been going through one of these longer struggles. The days of being known as the land of the book are well gone. Thousands coming to faith at Tent Hall in the 1930s, well gone. Thousands coming to faith at Billy Graham Crusades. On Wednesday night, one of the prophetic pictures we had came from Dennis. And uh, we're praying outside the tent hall. And he just described this picture he was given of a a big dam sitting over Glasgow. And the dam had a a crack in it. And Dennis felt like the crack that had some water trickling out of it and coming down uh, into the valley was was because of the the perseverance of people in prayer over the years. But he also sensed that one day, that crack's going to burst right open. And we'll have a chapter 10-like moment. But right now we're in a chapter 11-like moment. It's hard. We've got to wrestle in prayer. It's not always easy. But one day... It's coming. We pray that, don't we? We pray for revival-like conditions. We pray that God would come and do miraculous things again in this city. We pray that thousands would come to faith. Do you know when that most likely is to happen? When it seems most unlikely. Because that is how God works. He loves to shame the proud and give grace to the humble. When it looks impossible, God loves to show us that it's possible. God is with us. Keep persevering in prayer. We need a vision. Not just a vision of more people in a building. Not just a vision of great worship and speakers and great coffee. But a a vision of God's kingdom breaking out here in Glasgow. But ultimately a vision of rest, a vision of being with God forever, where we know deep inside of ourselves the story is supposed to end. To end When we are in the presence of God, when we're known by Him, when we're enjoying all the fruits of the new creation, we need to know that that day is coming. That even if we were to live like Jeremiah, a faithful prophet who never did see much fruit in his life. Just time and time again, prophesying over the people, warning them, prophesying, warning them. Guys, in the end, Jeremiah met his maker. Every single part of his obedience to God, doing the right thing time and time again was worth it. We will see him in the new creation. He will be worshipping Jesus with all his might, saved and known by God. And guys, we need to be prepared for that. But I, my hope, my prayer is that we'd also see some bursts of the new creation in our day. That we'd see lots of people saved. We'd see lots of people Healed from addiction and healed from all kinds of pain and suffering, emotional and physical. That we'd see people come around the communion table who we would never have imagined sharing communion with. People falling down, convicted by their sin in the street and just crying out praise to Jesus the day before they were blaspheming and could care less. We want those moments too, right? So let's pray for that. Let's have a vision for that. But let's also know that the story of the Bible is beginning, middle, beginning. It's the only So the, the other great stories where they, where they just don't quite have it is that the end. The Bible, in many ways, doesn't have an ending. It has a second beginning. A beginning of a new creation that will last forever and ever. And we'll get to be the people that God has called us to be. That we'll have that ultimate full satisfaction as we taste and see that the Lord is good forever. Next week we're going to look at the division of the land. And the people receiving their inheritance. And we're going to see that actually that ultimately is about this period of history too. After Christ, the four His his return, so after his resurrection, before his return. And we'll see that he has given us inheritance now. And there's more to come. We're going to explore that next week. It's going to be an exciting uh, week to be here. So make sure you're here for that. Because we really want to press into this stuff. I really feel like God is saying, come on guys, I've got more for you. I've got more for you. More gifts to give. More inheritance to receive. Let me pray. Father God, thank you that we are part of this great story, this greatest story that was ever conceived. Thank you, Lord, that you brought life. And that even when we messed it up and ran the other way, became enemies of yours, you like the Gibeonites, you you made this covenant with us, and now we are secure in your promises, loved by you, adored by you, you fight our battles. You're with us, you're for us. Give us give us the conviction we need, Lord, I pray to be courageous. Help us to be courageous in prayer. Help us to be courageous in using the gifts you've given us. Help us to be courageous in our commitment. Help us to reject the gospel of the culture and embrace the joy of the gospel of Jesus. Lord, help us to have a great vision for this city now, but an even greater one for the rest of eternity that we will get to dwell in forever may that keep us going by the power of the Holy Spirit even in the most hard battle weary moments God we love you we pray now that you would come and reveal yourself in all kinds of ways as we worship your name as we bring glory to you we pray father that you would come and meet us graciously by your spirit would we experience your gentle touch as we worship together We love you, Jesus. Amen.